0: Welcome to Paracool number 123 and today we're talking about how the turbulence intensity level affects a NACA AA18's airfo- airfoil's performance at low Reynolds numbers. So this is a very important range because this is where the turbulence intensity level and surface roughness do affect the performance of a lot of airfoils at low Reynolds numbers and the reason why is because at low Reynolds number this is where the turbulence that is created by either the surface roughness or introduced by the terms intensity level or by the Reynolds number really has a major effect because the flow is laminar slash transitional. If you go to very high Reynolds numbers, then the terms density level is not nearly as important because the flow is already very turbulent. And that already means that the, it's acting in the way that it should and increasing the term intensity level doesn't really change that characteristic too much. So this is a very interesting region of Reynolds numbers to look at. And to look at this um, topic, we're going to look at a paper called Numerical Study of the Effect of Reynolds Numbers and Determinous on the Performance of NACA 0018 airfoils at the Low Reynolds Number Regime. So this is an open access paper. You can find it in the link in the description. And we're going to split this into two podcasts again. The first podcast is going to be mostly about the theory behind it And the CFD setup, they're using CFD here. And the CFD setup is actually really good. Like they've looked into a lot of different aspects, some aspects which a lot of people don't even consider. So that is going to be quite nice. The other podcast, the second podcast to this series is going to be discussing the results. So let's move on with the first podcast here. So in recent years, there has been an increased interest in small aircraft and small wind turbines. From the point of view of simplified approaches, a significant problem is the working conditions in which these devices must operate. One of the key quantities determining these working conditions is a Reynolds number and turbulence. The Reynolds number experienced by the airfoils of small wind turbines or UAVs can range from tens of thousands to several hundred thousand. And so in this range, the characteristics, characteristics of the boundary layer are going to be different. So at low Reynolds numbers, the boundary layer is going to be more laminar, and small disturbances will have quite a lot of big effect. Whereas if you get a very high Reynolds numbers, like close to one million, small disturbances are not going to be nearly as effective. So these are not conditions encountered in traditional aviation. However, in the case of turbulence, the problem is different. Is that different turbulence intensity levels are found in wind tunnels. And real operating conditions. So generally speaking, a value that is less than 1% is considered to be of low turbulence intensity, whereas a value of more than 10% is considered to be of high turbulence intensity level. In the case of modern low turbulence wind turbine, wind tunnels, sorry, the turbulence intensity of undisturbed flow can be even less, so 0.05%, and that's really low. So most wind tunnels around the world, aerodynamic wind tunnels at least, they will hover around 0.1% to about 0.9%, below 1%, with a lot of them being around 05 0.6%. And that's quite low. Once you go into atmospheric wind tunnels, then you're going to be at about 5% or higher. So the turbulence intensity measured in the atmosphere is usually from a few to several dozen percent, so up to 20 30% perhaps. The aerodynamics of a vertical axis wind turbine rotor is even more complicated as its blades constantly operate under varying flow conditions. As the rotor rotates, the angle of attack of the airfoil changes, and thus the local Reynolds number also changes. During the operation of the rotor of the Darius wind, oh, wind turbine, that's where the blades are vertical, the rotor blade works with variable term densities. This is due to the slowdown and disturbances of the airflow by a blade moving in the upwind part of the rotor. So in other words, a wind turbine is quite different from a lot of other airfoils in that the wind turbine blades are going to have to sweep through wakes of the upstream wind turbine blades and or the central supporting shaft. So that means you have quite a dirty flow that's hitting these airfoils constantly, which means that you effectively have like an artificial turbulence level being introduced. And it really depends on what angle the wind is coming at to a large degree, but regardless, you're gonna have some sort of wake hitting the blades quite consistently. And that's potentially a problem. In the downwind part of the rotor, the blade already works in some highly disturbed flows. So in this paper, they're looking at a NACA 0018 airfoil, which is a fairly thick airfoil and it's symmetrical. This paper discusses the performance of this profile considering Reynolds' numbers from 50,000 to 200,000 and terms levels of ranging from 0.01% to 0.5%. So this is a very low Reynolds' number range. Also, the terms levels are quite low. Like, to get a like a premature trigger of turbulence to go into a turbulent boundary layer, a thermostensity level of higher than 0.5% is probably going to be needed, like so like 2%, 5%, something like that. So having very low thermostensity levels are quite um, restrictive as well in terms of the study. So looking at very low and low thermostensity levels. They don't talk about the surface roughness, but because of CFD, often there's, um, it's either going to be smooth or there's going to be some sort of factor that they will use, which is the default setting. So the numerical results of the aerodynamic force coefficients of the symmetric NACA 0018 airfoil shown in this paper are primarily intended to serve as input data for analytical approaches dedicated to Darius wind turbine rotors. Even though the NACA 0018 airfoil was designed relatively long ago, it is still prevalent in vertical axis wind turbine designs because of the balance between the structural integrity and aerodynamic efficiency. So report number 568 from uh, the NACA Organization, which is the organization that came up with all these um, airfoils, and that's a prelude to NASA, published in 1937 this report, which presents the NACA W-18 airfoil performance measured for the Reynolds number regime from 40,000 to 3 million. The characteristics of the lift coefficients presented in this report, in this report, sorry, show some though slight dependence on the Reynolds number, and that's well known today. Like we know that the Reynolds number does significantly. Inf- Influence the aerodynamic characteristics of an airfoil. Back in 1937, they were still just finding this out. This was really cutting edge. A much more significant effect of the Reynolds number was observed for the drag coefficient. In the case of the largest Reynolds number analyzed by these authors, so 2.97 million and 2.36 million, and almost independence of the lift coefficient from the Reynolds number in the linear part of the CL alpha curve is observed. And a slight influence of the Reynolds number on the drag coefficient is seen as well. So why is this? well the reason is because if we have an airfoil and it doesn't really matter what angle of attack it is but there are some differences to some extent so let's say we have a low angle of attack to begin with uh, that's probably pretty, pretty high but let's say it's about five degrees if you're just listening to this you can see the video on spotify and on youtube so this says five degrees the flow goes over it if we have a very low reynolds number it means that the flow is going to separate Potentially, and we're going to get a, quite a large wake that's going to result in the lift coefficient dropping and the drag coefficient increasing If we have a high Reynolds number Then the flow got to stay attached longer and we'll get a much smaller wake So the lift coefficient will now start to increase more and the drag coefficient will reduce because that wake is smaller That's what the Reynolds number does as you have a high angle attack. This gets exacerbated So at high angle attack, we know that the flow over an airfoil will be more prone to stall And if we have a higher Reynolds number, it means that the flow is probably going to be moving faster and or have more turbulence in it. So that's going to result in the boundary layer near the so the velocity near the wall going to be higher, which means that it can stay attached longer. And that means we get a smaller wake again, higher lift coefficient and lower drag coefficient. So that's what this means here. So a similar trend for the lift coefficient characteristics of a NACA 009 airfoil Reynolds numbers in the range of 3 million to 6 million can be found in the well-known report Summary of Airfoil Data from 1945. So a NACA 009 airfoil is a symmetrical airfoil and it's very thin. It's only 9% thickness to chord ratio. Even though the Jacobs and Sherman results are more useful for the vertical axis wind turbine um, in general because of the low Reynolds numbers, but knowing what the, the characteristics of a NACA 009 airfoil is, is very useful as well so in 2019 some researchers published an important paper summarizing the collection collective results of experimental and numerical studies of this airfoil the NACA 0018 for low and medium Reynolds numbers a juxtaposition of the results of various researchers showed significant differences in the lift characteristics for Reynolds numbers below 300,000. this is important and means that all these researchers who are studying NACA 0018 airfoil performances were finding different results And this is where this paper comes into it. They say this is due to, among other things, the sensitivity of the flow conditions in the wind tunnel. Timmer concluded, sorry, researcher Timmer concluded that the characteristics published in 1937 by Jacobs and Sherman might be affected by errors resulting from the high level of turbulence in the wind tunnel, which may significantly affect the transition characteristics. They probably would. Researchers, sorry, research by some other researchers also showed that the gamma-theta turbulence model so this is a turbulence model we use in RANS and URANS simulations. This provides sufficient accurate, sufficiently accurate aerodynamic characteristics for the NACA 0018 airfoil, as mentioned above. In the case of medium and high Reynolds numbers, it is influenced. Its influence on their airfoil performance is not significant, which is also confirmed by observations by some other researchers. And sufficient accuracy of the results may also be ensured by, for example, the popular k-omega SST turbulence model. In addition to the dependence of their characteristics on their angle of attack and Reynolds number a dependence on the free stream intensity level is also necessary to define the reliable aerodynamic performance of vertical axis wind turbines what does this all mean so what they're saying is so all these researchers that they were investigating their results they were getting very varying data and the reason why is not only because they have different Reynolds numbers for example but they have different approaches to modeling their CFD so some are using like for example the gamma theta terminus model others using the can make SST theta, sorry, can make SST terms model. Others are using other things. What's more, we have the term intensity level changing between all these different um, research campaigns. So we have all these uh, variables that are not being controlled, at least not reported or implicitly controlled, and that can mess with the results. And they often do mess with the results, especially in this Reynolds number range. The reason why is because this Reynolds number range is very. Um, susceptible to laminar separation bubbles and they are very finicky like changing just small parameters will change how the flow separates over an airfoil and how it it, uh, transitions in the previous podcast i went through different transition mechanisms there were four main ones that we went through and if you want to check out that podcast you will learn a lot about how boundary layers can transition the different paths they can take with the laminar separation bubble being what just one of them there are other ones as well so i highly recommend that podcast here. So let's move on to the numerical result that they have. And so the numerical model that they have and its validation. So this paper aims to estimate the performance of the NACA0018F at different values of terms intensity in undisturbed flow and at different Reynolds numbers. So first of all, they have the numerical domain and CFD solver settings. These are very important, obviously. Let me zoom out a little bit so you can see the entire picture. So as shown in figure two, <clears throat> Simulations were performed using a C-mesh surrounding the NACA 0018 airfoil and extending 7.5 chords from the semicircular edge of the domain and 15 chords from the vertical edge of the domain. So what does this all mean? So this is a very common domain setup, and it's actually a very good one. So we have at the front, the inlet is this C-shape. It's not like a f- typical flat surface. Well, it's like vertical flat surface. is a C-shape. And the reason why this is important is because it greatly reduces not only the computational aspect of um, different angles of attack, but also the variability. So if we had a, just like a regular rectangular box and we have upstream, we have the inlet. If you go down to the corner, and at zero degrees it's fine because the flow coming in is directly parallel to the boundaries at this, like the top and bottom surfaces. But if you have the angle of attack go to 10 degrees, for example, or even five degrees. Now, when you go down to the, one of the corners, one of the boundary conditions like the the top or bottom the flow coming in will now be at an angle to that and there'll be probably separation around that corner because that corner is not an inlet that 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 um top and bottom surface they're not inlets they are either like pressure like they're symmetry planes or pressure surfaces or whatever but they're not inlets so you have different conditions on that surface so you're going to be any errors to get around that the c mesh is very beneficial to use and to use this, what we actually do often is we actually pitch the airfoil at different angles of attack, and/or we put the inlet velocity at different angles of attack. So there's one way which you can just change the mesh every time you like, just remesh the airfoil at different angles of attack, or you can simply just go back to your solver settings and go, okay, I want the velocity to be now you know five meters in the x direction and two meters in the y direction, which will give me an angle of attack of whatever it comes out to be. So that's a very easy way of doing that without having to remesh your setup so that's very simple but also accurate so that's what they're doing here one question is how far downstream should the airfoil be from the inlet and how far downstream should the outlet be from the airfoil and these are going to be covered in this paper as well which is why we're going through it here and it's quite nice this way so they say that The airfoil surfaces are treated as non-slip walls. So zero velocities are ensured on the airfoil surfaces. This means that a boundary layer will grow on it, as you'd expect. And moving on to, based on the previous research, and all the results presented in this paper, the time step size was assumed to be 0.0001 seconds. So this means that they're using neurons. For the transient solution using the implicit formulation, ANSYS Fluent CFD codes require multiple iterations to be specified at each time step. So what does this mean? So if we have, um, like, let's say you have time step 200 and the solve, like the CFD simulation has calculated that, instead of moving to time step 201, we actually do iterations to make sure that the solution has like stabilized a little bit. And then we move on because when we change the time step, the flow obviously changes quite a lot. And we want to make sure that we don't um, get too many, like the, in, in mathematical terms, we don't want the gradients of, the different flow conditions to be too the different, flow parameters to be too great. We want them to be quite low, which means that the flow is not changing too much compared to our time steps and or when we're changing the flow. So to get the flow to be more stable, we want to have in iterations every time step to make sure that the flow is sort of converging before we move on to the next time step. This is just a way of ensuring that our simulation doesn't crash. It, it will converge over time. So here they are using ten to fifteen iterations per time step and a maximum of ten, of 20 maximum iterations was um, specified and they have a level of residuals of 10 to the minus 6, which means that once the um, parameters, the changes in parameters get below 10 to the minus 6, they say that, okay, the simulation is converged. So that's quite low. That's quite good. Now we talk about something which is quite interesting. They say an important problem in time-dependent analysis is the effect of the initial conditions. In the initial phase of the simulation, oscillations of the aerodynamic forces are significant and the values of these forces differ significantly from the final ones so this is a quite problematic statement i think because they say an important problem in time-dependent analysis is the effect of initial conditions so you can look at this from a few different ways the most basic way is saying that your initial conditions change your initial conditions change your final result That's not um, necessarily true. I mean, the basic assumption of CFD is that your initial conditions don't really matter as long as the flow converges. Now, obviously, you want to get good initial conditions because that will allow the flow to converge more quickly and you have a higher chance of the flow converging. But as long as the flow converges, it doesn't really matter what your initial conditions were because they will reach the same result. That's an assumption of CFD. So that's the first thing that pops into my mind when they say this, and I, it sort of contradicts what they're saying here. But when they say in the initial phase of the simulation, the oscillations of the aerodynamic forces are significant and the values of these forces differ significantly from the final ones. So they might be referring to the convergence side of the CFD. They're saying that, okay, maybe the oscillations are so great that if we have wrong, very wrong initial conditions, the CFD may just crash straight away. And that definitely is a problem but i'm not sure if that's what they mean here or not i'm wondering if they mean that like having different conditions will result in different converged solutions which I, it doesn't happen so i'm not sure what they mean here maybe i'm reading this differently to how they intended if you have any other ideas let me know in the comments below but let's move on here so computing domain size effects so as mentioned above the size of the computational domain is essential is an essential aspect of cfd calculations some authors pointed out that the influence of the domain size on the accuracy of the calculated airfoil characteristics depends on the type of mesh, e.g. C-mesh or O-mesh. So this is that domain size I was talking about and its um, its shape. A review of the literature shows that there is no consensus on the size of the computational domain concerning the length of the cord. This applies to both airfoils operating at low and high numbers. Some researchers employ small computing domain sizes. So in other words, you have the airfoil in there and you have a very small domain around it. So you might have the airfoil like this and then the domain is like only this big so you're going to get a lot of influence from the walls onto this airfoil and the the lift coefficient and the drag coefficient are not going to be very accurate at all so some researchers do that they say Uh, in this case the distance from the obstacle to the domain's boundary is from several to dozens of airfoil cords conveniently the domain area in the wake region is longer than the distance from the inlet to the obstacle and this is very standard so they have the airfoil closer to the leading to closer to the inlet to the compared to the outlet and this is because of the wake of the airfoil the wake needs to develop properly so you can have not only the like the lift and drag being like right but also the upstream effects that this wake has to be correct as well because you have this feedback mechanism as well so having a decently sized outlet so it's far away enough from the airfoil is a good idea but also you want to have the airfoil quite far away from the inlet as well because you do have these upstream effects that i mentioned earlier so they say here, some researchers create computing domains of huge sizes. Sometimes the distance from the leading edge of the FL to the boundary of the computational domain is even several hundred times larger than the FL chord length. And that's good if they can do that, but sometimes it's overkill. Here they say paper six discusses the effects of three domain widths, 3.75 chords, 7.5 chords, and 15 chords on the characteristics of length of lift and drag coefficients. The authors concluded that the domain width does not significantly affect the airfoil's aerodynamic characteristics. However, the drag coefficient is more sensitive to the changes in the domain width than the list coefficient. A numerical domain with a width of 15 chords here are used because it gives acceptable results. At the same time, the number of mesh nodes is half as compared to the mesh for the domain twice as wide. So you save on computational time really. So that's what they're using here. They're using a d- domain width of 15 chords. So In Figure 3, they talk about the effects of the length of the domain, so the distance from the inlet to the airfoil and from the airfoil to the outlet on the lift and drag coefficients. They say here that the length of the computational domain in the wake area behind the obstacle is also an important aspect for safety calculations. Therefore, the authors of this paper decided to verify the numerical model for several different lengths of the computational domain. So they're going to look at how increasing this domain size Changes these lift and drag coefficients. For this purpose, four computational domains of different lengths were, an, were developed. These vari- The variable in these analyses is the length measurement from the airfoil's trailing edge to the domain's outlet, as shown in figure 3a. So here. The distance from the leading edge of the airfoil to the inlet was the same for all of the analysed cases. Since the range of angles of attack ranged from 0 to 10 degrees, the numerical model was verified for two angles of attack four degrees and 10 degrees here. So they want to just go across a few different angle attacks so they can validate it for the rest of their setup here. Thus, this search, that's quite, quite good. Like they have been quite thorough here. A lot of aerodynamics might only take like one or one angle attack, but they're doing two here just to be a little bit on the safe side. So that's good. So the analysis of the effect of the length on the aerodynamic characteristics of the NACA 18 airfoil was carried out based on eight test cases. The change in the length of the computational domain results in a change in the number of finite element vo, finite volume elements, sorry. so in other words, the amount of mesh cells you have. For the lowest domain considered in this paper, and the number of mesh elements was 8 million, while the largest was 9 million. So that's not really a huge amount, a huge change, but um, I guess it's better than nothing. So 20 seconds of air movement was simulated for each test case. In addition, a Reynolds number of and a terms intensity of 0.25% were used to verify this numerical model, taking into account both the range of Reynolds numbers as well as the range of terms intensities and that is analyzed in this paper. The values of these Reynolds numbers and terms intensities used for this verification process is more or less the average value. So in other words, they're trying to pick the middle of the road values that they're using in this paper for the rest of the paper just to validate this domain. So looking at the average term density level about of 0.25% and the average Reynolds number of about 150,000. So, the results of the numerical calculations of the lift and drag coefficients are presented in figures 3b and three. the way that they've presented these results in figure 3 are pretty cool. Like, they have the different lengths of the domain, and that's going to change the lift and drag coefficients a little bit, but they have different angles of attack as well. So, they have these angles of attack, the, the values of the lift and drag uh, coefficients normalized effectively by moving them down so we can see the general um, shapes of these graphs so they are comparable this way so they say the results compiled in this way show that the numerical results of the coefficients differ very little for a given angle of attack for an angle of attack of four degrees and a length of 14 chords downstream so the the outlet is 14 chords from the air force trailing edge which is quite a long way the drag coefficient changes only by 0.28 percent Compared to when the chord, when the length of the outlet is only 10 chord length downstream, so in other words, this length it doesn't really affect the drag coefficient too much. It's like 0.3%, which could really be just error based on different meshes. Really, Figure 3c shows that in contrast, to the drag coefficient, as the length of the computational domain in the wake region increases, the lift coefficient increases. However, this increase is also slight. For an angle of attack of 4 degrees and the length of 14 chords, it is only 0.26% different to when the chord, when the length is 10 chords. So now again, the lift and drag coefficients are fairly independent of this length here. They've got to the point where the outlet is far enough away that the lift and drag coefficients are fairly independent now. So for the angle of attack of 4 degrees, the increase in the lift to drag ratio for the case of 14 chords, Downstream is also only 5.4% compared to when the called when the outlet was 10 chords downstream. A further increase in the parameter of this length, so how far the outlet is, from 14 chords to 20 chords, causes only an increase in the drag coefficient, so the drag ratio of 0.11%. So in other words, at 14 chords downstream, the outlet from the trailing edge, the lift and drag coefficients are pretty much independent. Now you don't really have to get a bigger domain so they've now looked at this domain size and they've validated that domain size of this proportion is adequate so they can move on now so it's quite nice that's what i mean by the cfd study they did a pretty good job at looking at the different variables and uh, seeing what which ones are important and how to validate that they have the right variable selected so what about the term sensitivity effect and mesh sensitivity studies one of the key achievements of this paper is the analysis of aerodynamic performance of the symmetrical NACA double 18 airfoil in, in relation to the terms intensity level. As a result of the numerical dissipation, the terms intensity just before the airfoil is sometimes completely different from the terms intensity assumed for the boundary conditions. So, in other words, in CFD, we, assume, we specify a term intensity level at the boundary, but once it gets the flow gets to the object because of dissipation the, and viscosity and whatever, the temperature level will be lower. So we don't really know what the term level is at the object. We've specified it at the inlet, let's say 1%. By the time it gets to the object, it might be 0.5%. So it's not really what we're looking for. So this is potentially a problem. So this analysis aims to find a correlation between the density at the inlet and just before the airfoil. The different types of boundary conditions available in CFD codes require different flow parameters to be specified. In this work, the velocity inlet boundary condition is employed in, in figure 2a as shown. In the current investigation, two turbulence quantities are specified at the inlet, the terminal's intensity level and the terminus length scale. I'm going to cover what these two different things are right now. The turbulence intensity is determined as the ratio of the root mean square of the velocity fluctuations to the average flow velocity so in other words you have the average flow velocity of let's say 10 minutes per second or whatever if the fluctuations are 0.1 meter per second then we can say it's 10 percent so sorry one percent so we do that through the root mean square process which is not a difficult thing to do we've gone through in other podcasts so that's the turbulence density level the turbulent turbulence length scale is something different and it is very common and this is the quantity that is appropriate to the size of the large eddies which contain energy in the turbulent flow so in other words you have this turbulent flow, you have all these vortices. What are the size of the vortices that contain most of the energy? All vortices contain energy, but the bigger ones typically contain more of them, more of that energy, like 90% perhaps. So we're looking at the turbulence length scale is approximating the length of these eddies or these vortices. So many reports from experimental measurements in wind tunnels only provide information about turbulence intensities at the location of the analyzed obstacles. So if you have, let's say, a ball in a wind tunnel, you take the ball out and you put a hot wire where the ball is and you measure what the term sensitivity is there and you say, okay, that's what the term sensitivity is at the ball. With CFD, you don't really do that. You go at the inlet, the term sensitivity level is this. But once it gets to the ball, it might be different. So that's what they're saying here. It is very often the only term parameter measured during experiments. Following the guidelines available in ANSYS Fluent documentation, in the, in the case of all bounded flows, it is recommended to calculate the Terminus scale from the following formula. So the Terminus length scale is 0.4 times the boundary layer thickness. So of those 40% of the boundary layer thickness is the same as the termus length scale. In this current study, the Terminus length scale L was estimated on the airfoils to be 0.004 meters. So in other words, 4 millimeters. This paper does not analyze the sensitivity of the airfoil performance due to this parameter. A numerical experiment was carried out to investigate the rate of decay of turbulence intensity and determine the correlation between the turbulence intensity at the domain inlet and just before the airfoil. The analysis was performed for the following flow conditions. The Reynolds number was 150,000. The understood flow velocity was 2.19 ms and angle attack was 6 degrees. In this study, eight values of the turbulence intensity level was, were used. 0.1%, 0.5%, 1%, 2%, 4%, 6%, 8%, and 10%. Unsteady calculations were performed for 10 seconds of air movement, assuming a time step length of 0. 0.0001 seconds. So let's talk about the results now in figure four. So, figure four, figures four, B, and C illustrate the dependence of the term intensity on the x coordinate. So, in other words, as you go in the free direction, how the term intensity level changes as you get to the airfoil's nose. Both points representing the start and the end of the control segments are shown in 4a. Let's look at 4a here. So it shows we have the thermal intensity set at the inlet and as we go towards the leading edge of the airfoil, we want to know what the thermal intensity level is and how it decays. And this is what these figures show here. Let me zoom out a little bit so we can see all of them together. There we go. Okay, so Decay rate of this quantity is strongly dependent on the term intensity that was set for the boundary condition. The higher the terms density level set at the, ban- at the inlet, the higher the decayed rate. <laughs> so in other words, <laughs> you might go, I want to get 5% terms intensity level at the airfoil inlet, at the airfoil nose, sorry. Uh, so I'm going to specify 10% and then you go back to the airfoil nose and you see, okay, it decayed down to 3%. So I should double, should almost double the term density level to 20% perhaps at the inlet but it's not going to be 6% term sensitivity level at the airfoil nose. It might be like 4% now because it decays so rapidly. (laughs) (laughs) So the decay rate of this quantity is strongly dependent on the term sensitivity level here. Specified. The higher the term sensitivity level, the higher the decay rate. As shown in figure 4b, in the case of the lowest term sensitivity analyzed in this work, equal to 0.1%, the decay rate is represented by an almost constant function slightly dependent on the x-coordinates. In other words, (laughs) the... (laughs) having a term level of 0.1% pretty much means that you have that same term level throughout your entire domain. It doesn't decay very much at all. And that makes sense because there's not much energy there to begin with. So viscosity is not going to be that high. Neither is the going to be very high. So it's going to be stay fairly constant compared to the high term levels. But on the other hand, having high term levels, once you go to the airfoil will be more likely to trigger a transition to turbulence in the boundary layer. So. In the case of term densities higher than 0.5%, the characteristic inflection of the term sensitivity curve is visible. This inflection occurs approximately 0.5 chords from the first control point located at the domain entrance. So, this inflection point of the mean is when you go at the domain inlet. So, you then go half a chord downstream. You get this increase in the term sensitivity level. Before this inflection, the term sensitivity decays. Decay is much higher than after it. Near the nose of the airfoil. The term density is very low for each test case. Therefore, to compare the differences in the term density values in the vicinity of the airfoil, an additional chart was prepared in which the x-coordinate was limited to the last meter of the before the airfoil, figure 4C. This is here. In, this, in the first case, it gives a decrease of 51.6%, in the second case, 95.3%. Wow. Well, okay, so uh, even in this last meter before the airfoil, The term sensitivity drops dramatically. This data can be used to interpolate the term sensitivity level required at the inlet to obtain expected term sensitivity value for the airfoil. This data is shown in figures four b and c, which can be used to interpolate these results, these um, values that we need. So I've never really seen this being done for a CFD setup before. Like everyone just really just specifies what the term sensitivity level is at the inlet they set it and forget it. They don't really look at how that decays through the domain. This is the first paper I've really seen do this, which is quite good, which is why I want to go through this. And we should really be doing this a lot more, I think, or at the very least use like these kinds of empirical data to infer what we should be getting for the inlet term density level. So I quite like this. Well done for the, the authors. <laughs> Moreover, a mesh density influence on the um, on the turbulence decay was examined. So in other words, how does the mesh density affect the turbulence decay? Four additional meshes were prepared for from an extra coarse to an extra fine mesh. Cases with the typical settings of neurons of 150,000 and inlet turbulence density levels of 0.25% were prepared. Studies were performed for two angles of attack, four degrees and 10 degrees. All the results presented in table one show the differences from the medium case upwards are tiny, so in other words, Unfortunately, having even more cells doesn't really change how quickly the term intensity decays at this point. We've reached that point where the mesh is independent for this particular variable, so that's good. Therefore, they say it can be claimed that the mesh intensity influence on the term decay is negligible. So finally, let's talk about the validation of the numerical result, of the numerical model, sorry. Figure five, so let's move down to figure five, shows a comparison of the aerodynamic characteristics of the NACA double 18 airfoil obtained using a gamma theta Thomas model for their RANS. and this is compared to some experimental data taken from Delft University that they they've published. The lowest Reynolds number published in this paper was equal to 150,000, which is fortunately fortunate for them because um, the CFD they've been running at as well is 150,000 Reynolds number. I'm guessing that's not by um, coincidence but by design. So they have this experimental data to validate the CFD. Interestingly, the term sensitivity level that the Delft experimental data is at is 0.02% for their CFD. The closest term sensitivity level that they used was 0.01%. So that's what they're comparing it with. It's slightly different, but it's close enough that there shouldn't be too many differences. Like in the lift curve slope at Long's attack, there might be a little bit of a difference because of the LSB formation. I'm not sure. I don't really go into it here, but that is a, a possibility. So the graphs shown in figure 5 have the same scales as shown in Figures 12 and 13, which is for the results section of the paper, which we'll go through in the next podcast. As shown in figure 5b, the drag coefficient results agree with the experimental with the experiment both qualitatively and quantitatively. So in other words, they have the same kind of inflections along the angles of attack range. The absolute error of the minimum drag coefficient compared to the experimental data is only 0.0028. So that's like maybe... 2-3% perhaps, I don't know what, what that comes out to be, but it's quite low. In the case of the lift coefficient, both series of results are sufficiently consistent with the range of angles of attack up to 6 degrees. Slightly more significant differences in the coefficients are observed above this angle of attack, and this is probably due to changes in flow separation. This effect is shown in the earlier work of these authors, as well as the studies by other researchers. One of the possibilities causing these differences in the 3 the effects not considered in these studies. So in other words, these studies are 2D compared to the experiments being 3D. So you're going to get slightly different results. So, some include potentially induced drag and potentially um, three-dimensional turbulence over the airfoil. The second reason that we are getting some differences between the lift cushion of the CFD compared to experiments is that the turbulence model may not, is not calibrated through the model constants that control the characteristics of the separation bubble. So here they do say that there is a separation bubble happening the gamma theta model, um, like all terminus models, use coefficients to in, the, in their equations. These are empirically determined, and they are not specific for this LSB formation for this study. You can get um, coefficients that are specifically designed for this LSB, but they don't have them here, and that could make a major difference. That's why we do get some potentially some differences here in different angles of attack. At angles of attack, that's probably what's happening. The LSB is not um, being properly modeled by the CFD compared to this experiments, but also the change in terms of intensity level might have a slight effect here. A high enzyme attack, that will also change if there is an LSB happening here. I'm not sure if there is, they're saying there is, but I don't see any CFD um, flowvis here. But if there is, that will change when the LSB is popping and potentially how the airfoil stalls. So that could happen here as well. So that's a good catch here by the authors here. So that's in this paper. We, in the next, uh, sort of end of this podcast, in the next podcast, we're going to go through the rest of this paper. We're going to go through the results. In this podcast, we've just gone through all this, these different ways of setting up your CFD and checking if um, it is valid. So we've gone through your validation process. We've gone through how the term sensitivity decays with time, which is really cool. I haven't seen that before. We've seen how the domain size changes the results and what domain size we need, and also the theory. So if you want to see more of this, check out other podcasts and the next podcast will come out in a few days. And if you like it, make sure to give this like a subscribe. And if you want to get better at CFD and or theory yourself like this, check out our courses in the link description. And I'll see you next podcast. Peace out, amigos.